You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Asia-Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia-Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the... 2nd of April. 2nd, so thank you, thank you, First day of Ramadan for those celebrating. Very good. Um, This Saturday, the 2nd of April, you're listening to Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. I'm James Barry. And Asia Pacific Currency is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, look us up on our social media platforms, Facebook and Twitter. Just type in AAWL and we should come up. We post more news and current affairs and campaigns and labour movement issues from the Asia-Pacific region. Coming up on today's program, in the second half of the show, we'll be speaking with Aaron Mulvaganam, who is the founder of the Tamil Refugee Council and also a long-standing stalwart refugee activist, about some recent announcements in by the um, Australian federal government about refugee settlement. So we're going to ask Aaron what this is all about, given um, some of these proposals have been on the table for nine years in one case, but um, in relation to the resettlement of Afghani refugees um, well in, in the, uh, since um, and over the last eight months at least that proposal has been there. So we're going to look at what motivates that and whether these announcements should be something that we celebrate. But at three minutes past nine o'clock it is time now for news from around the region. Uh, first item today is the Solomon Islands which has signed a security deal, a security agreement with China. On Thursday, the Solomon Islands signed a security agreement with China. Australia and New Zealand, which have historically held strong influence, uh, security influence in the Pacific, had both expressed concern when a draft of the agreement was leaked earlier this week, specifically regarding the clauses of the agreement, which seemed to set the ground for future Chinese military base on the island. The Solomons has experienced political upheaval as tension between the ruling faction and the opposition over the 2019 severing of ties with Taiwan and the recognition of Beijing. In November 2021, this tension boiled over into violence that cut across the same ethnic and regional lines that had been central to the Solomon Civil War 20 years earlier. Australia initially intervened in November as per the 2003 uh, peace agreement, but the sending of security personnel by China in February signalled the change in policy by Honiara. The Solomon's decision occurs in the context of US-China tension in the Pacific, which is likely to soon include countries like Papua New Guinea, Fiji and Vanuatu. I definitely, I think it is a bit of an alarming development. I want to qualify this. I know that workers, that the workers' movement, or at least the left movement, has very polarised views about what's happening in the world. Um, uh, and there are some people that are saying, at least in relation to Russia and the Ukraine, that the workers don't have a fight or don't have a side in the fight which I very strongly disagree with. Um, But, James, I think that story shows the um, realignment of um, 
power, uh, in some cases imperialist forces, in some cases opposition to that imperialism, but so far none of those forces really, in my view, are on the side of the workers. And when I say on the side of the workers, I mean on the side of destroying capitalism altogether. So as we see these powers jostling for position, uh, I think that this is going to, um, unless the workers make a real move, I think this is likely to be the precursor to a third world war. And that's, the, I think, the point, that it's, uh, it is the build-up to a... Uh, two countries or two two alignments uh, facing off against each other and the reality is the people who are fighting that war have more in common with each other than they do with their leadership. So we'll move now to West Papua where protests have erupted in recent weeks over a plan by Jakarta to further divide West Papua from the existing two provinces to six provinces. Protesters argue that there is no basis for further division of West Papua other than to further obstruct independence activists and limit the districts eligible for a share in the revenues of the lucrative Freeport mine. Protests took place throughout West Papua and in the capital Jakarta and two protesters were killed by security forces in Yahukimo district. Indonesia recently hit out at a UN report on West Papua which had documented examples of extrajudicial killing, torture and the forced displacement of more than 5,000 Indigenous Papuans. Um, I I think it's regrettable to also say that the... um, once in a lifetime united um, protest at Freeport Mine where we saw Indonesians and West Papuans side by side encircling Freeport Mine in protest. We haven't seen that again since um, I think 2005 or six when it first happened uh, and I think it is that kind of united activity between Indonesian workers and West Papuan workers around something like Freeport Mine um, is really what it's going to take to shift things there. Uh, to Palestine now, where Land Day and alongside an Arab leader summit uh, has coincided with violence. Palestinians protested Land Day on March 30 during a week in which there were three separate attacks in Israel by Palestinians. These attacks were mostly aimed, by at, le- uh, aimed at the arrival of leaders from three Arab nations as part of a summit for the Abraham Accords. The Accords, or the Broad Accords, Accords were, part, were a 2020 Trump initiative that resulted in the normalisation of relations between Israel and three Arab countries, the UAE, Bahrain and Morocco. And the foreign ministers of each of these countries visited Israel this week for a summit in the Negev Desert. Of course, for the Palestinian cause, this is seen as a, a, a major setback. Last week in the lead-up to the summit, Ahmed al Qian a Palestinian Bedouin, Bedouin from the Negev, was killed by police after launching a stabbing attack in Beersheba. On Sunday, two other Palestinian citizens of Israel were killed after opening fire on guards near the Lebanon border in, a, in, a, in an alleged ISIS-inspired attack. On Wednesday, another attack in the ultra-Orthodox city of Bnei Barak, which was carried out by Diyar Hamasha, a Palestinian from Jenin. In addition to these attackers, 11 Israelis were killed, and Israel responded with attacks in Jenin and Bethlehem, which killed three Palestinians. It is likely the violence will increase in the coming month of Ramadan, when Palestinians use the fast-breaking evening prayers to gather in protest. I think the um, suggestion that some of those, pal- um, well, is what is called Israeli Arabs, but I like that you call them Palestinians in Israel, um, uh, that 
those attacks are being called ISIS is a very new development. It would be very good to try to get to the bottom of that if that is true. Uh, it's it's to do with the fact that one of the attackers apparently had been um, arrested for trying to leave for Syria a number of years ago. That's my understanding. Um, but uh, I think these the development of, of these issues in, in Israel, Palestine, um, also shows, I think, the the lack of leadership in the Palestinian resistance right now. And um, I think that the the recognition of Israel by the three Arab countries that you mentioned in that story is, um, I, I mean, it had the, Trump had the desired effect by compelling those countries to formally recognise Israel, which was to um, pierce the, the Palestinian resistance movement. Mm-hmm. In Bangladesh, rising prices are causing hunger. The rising cost of living, especially basic commodities, is causing a sharp spike in poverty in Bangladesh as families face starvation in the lead-up to the fasting, feasting Islamic month of Ramadan. Inflation, which was rising before the Ukraine war, has increased significantly in recent weeks, with many ordinary Bangladeshis skipping meals and having to commute for longer to save on transport costs. This only compounds the overall economic situation for workers in Bangladesh who have suffered under COVID as employers have attempted to shift their financial losses onto workers through cutting hours, safety conditions and firing employees. To India now, where workers have held a two-day strike this week. More than 200 million Indian workers went on strike this week to protest the Modi government's privatisation of public sector banks and demand better pay, labour rights and social security for workers. The protests were held throughout the country, particularly in the financial districts of of New Delhi, Mumbai and Kerala, while elsewhere in the country, protesters blocked highways in order to have their demands heard. However, unfortunately, in some parts of the country, such as Maharashtra state, the state workers were prevented from striking by threats of sacking from the government. And in Malaysia, the unions have stepped up their fight against union busting. The Electronics Industry Employees Union Northern Region this week filed a complaint with the Industrial Relations Department against Molex, an electronics manufacturer and major distributor of Apple products in Malaysia. The HR department of Molex in recent weeks threatened to cut the benefits of workers who vote in favour of establishing a union. Following the complaint, the union expressed concern that the method of investigation favoured by the Industrial Relations Department, which is on-site interviews with workers, would only help the company identify pro-union workers and this would jeopardise their employment. So basically uh, inherent in the system, in the um, government's practice to overcome union busting is an opportunity to increase union busting. Mm. It's 12 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. We're going to go to some community announcements and then our feature interview for the morning. A system based on profits, inequality and oppression cannot deliver a society that works for ordinary people. Capitalism has to go. During this global pandemic, millions of lives have been sacrificed by the let it rip strategy all for the sake of the capitalist economy. The far right is on the offensive, in Parliament and on the streets, and all the while, our planet continues to burn. Now, more than ever, we need revolution. We need socialism. This April, the Marxism 2022 conference will bring together revolutionaries and radicals from across the globe to address the pressing need to fight the right and rebuild the left. 
talks, discussions, film screenings and interviews will cover the history of working class struggle and burning questions for socialists today. Get your ticket to the biggest left-wing conference in Australia at marxismconference.org. We have a world to win. Marxism 2022 is a 3CR supporter. The Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. Come to me, lover, I've secrets to tell. Hi, we're Dash. And you're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Come to me, sweetly, this love. It is 14 minutes past nine o'clock. You're on Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents. New Zealand's offer to resettle refugees held in Australian immigration detention centres sat on the table for nine years before it was finally accepted last week. New Zealand will take in 450 refugees currently in processing facilities on Nauru or the Australian mainland over the next three years, with those places coming out of New Zealand's annual refugee quota of 1,500. To talk more about why this sudden change in policy by the Liberal federal government is Aaron Melvaganum. He's the founder of the Tamil Refugee Council. He's a Senate candidate for this federal election. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Uh, Thank you for having me, Giselle. So I guess the most obvious question is why the sudden change of heart uh, from a government whose entire refugee policy has been about demonising refugees and insisting that none of these people will be resettled? It's good to see a small victory uh, for a small number of refugees. Uh, people who have been detained for nine years, uh, some uh, for a very, very long term, but uh, are in the community now, uh, are eligible to go to uh, New Zealand over the next two to three years. Uh, so good to see uh, a relief uh, for a small number of people. Uh, and it's good to see, you know, uh, liberals being forced into a situation where, you know, when election is around the corner, uh, rather than, you know, attacking refugees, they're put in a position where uh, they have to be seen as, uh, you know, accepting this deal that uh, they have uh, rejected for the last nine years. However, you know, I don't see this as a victory uh, for uh, the refugee movement. Uh, there are over 35,000 refugees uh, in the community uh, facing an uncertain future. Uh, this deal means nothing to them. Uh, and out of the 1,200 people who are eligible, uh, only 450 will be taken by New Zealand. Uh, and, uh, you know, those, the 450 people will only find out, uh, 
you know, over the next, uh, most of them will only find out over the next two, two, three, two to three years. Uh, these people have spent a long time in detention. They should be out in the, in the community uh, with equal rights. Uh, they shouldn't have to wait uh, any longer. Uh, so this deal, uh, you know, effectively, uh, you know, meaningless for most people. Uh, it's not a deal that we should be celebrating. Uh, and, you know, New Zealand is, you know, like you mentioned, uh, you know, the 450 people will come off uh, their uh, regular humanitarian intake. Uh, so, you know, Australia handing its responsibility to New Zealand means 450 people stranded uh, in transit countries will be missing out on resettlement. Um, the, yeah. So, you know, we hope uh, Labor, you know, Labor Party, if they form the next government, they will do the right thing by refugees and let them out into the community uh, immediately uh, with uh, equal rights. There well, are. Well, this New Zealand resettlement plan is a Labor plan anyway, so it's not it's not clear that there's much hope that Labor will do anything differently in relation to refugee politics. Has so far matched uh, coalition when it comes to. Uh, hardline refugee policy, uh, but there is minor difference uh, with the uh, Labour Party. That is, uh, you know, 35,000 people in the community. If they're elected, they have promised that those who have been accepted as refugees would be granted uh, permanent protection. Uh, what we hope is that uh, if they do form the next government, uh, and and if we have a lot of pressure from the community, uh, maybe you know we could see. Uh, some sort of change. Uh, you know, we're not going to see any change at all under uh, a coalition when it comes to refugees. Uh, at least, you know, if, if a Labour uh, forms the government, you know, we, we can uh, put pressure on them uh, and, you know, hopefully we can see some results for refugees. It's still going to be a massive fight. You know, Labour government is no different to Liberals. In fact, many of the, uh, the cruel policies uh, inflicted on uh, refugees um, you know, uh, uh, has been uh, under the, the previous Labour government. Um, yeah, we, you know, all we can hope is that, you know, kick out the Liberals in the upcoming election and when Labour uh, comes in power, there's enough of us putting pressure on them to to do the right thing by the refugees. Well, in another sign that the refugee movement has had some impact on national politics, um, given, you know, you've already said that traditionally in an election cycle, refugees are used as a weapon and are demonised um, in a... In a indication that this has changed a little bit in the budget that was delivered on Tuesday night the the federal government um, unveiled a substantial boost to the uh, to Australia's refugee intake specifically people from Afghanistan lifting the national um, intake from 1300 from just under 1400 places um, and adding 16. 1,500 humanitarian places for people fleeing Afghanistan. Of course, you know, the the Tamil, the, beg your pardon, the um, Taliban overtake of Afghanistan happened in August last year. That was the time to increase the intake. But how do you read this um, new uh, further change in policy? Well, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, Liberals have, 
Liberals and Labour have gone so far when it comes to mistreating refugees that uh, a lot of people, even in their side, don't approve of the way you know they're continuing to treat refugees. Um, this is a sign that uh, you know that they have gone really far that they can't go any further. Uh, I mean, when it comes to Afghanistan, you know, it's it's really a difficult issue for them to uh, justify. You know. Uh, thousands of ref Hazara refugees in the community who have been uh, denied protection visas, facing deportation, whose cases are before the courts. Uh, this this announcement in the budget, I'm not sure whether it provides any solution to them. Um, it you know talks about taking refugees from uh, Afghanistan. I mean, it's a good sign that you know they are coming up with. Uh, measures where they're looking at, uh, you know, taking more Hazaras uh, uh, or refugees from Afghanistan. Uh, but I, you know, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have too much hope with these announcements. It'll be, it'll be a small relief for a small number of people. I want to talk about one more plan around resettlement that doesn't involve governments, but it is a, an abrogation, I think, of Australia's um, refugee policies. I don't know much about it. I'm wondering if you know anything more about it. But this um, scheme in Canada where private citizens can sponsor refugees for about $20,000, allowing them to resettle, and then the Refugee Council of Australia running a massive crowdfunding um, campaign to try to resettle as many refugees as possible. What do you know about that? And, and what do you think about individual citizens doing basically refugee resettlement? Oh, look, you know, it's good that uh, people are out there looking at uh, community sponsorship, but this problem isn't a, isn't a complex problem, you know? Like, people fleeing wars sometimes aided by our governments. Uh, we have we are signatory uh, to the the refugee convention. We have a responsibility to take care of these people. What we should be doing is building a movement of people that uh, puts pressure on the government to let these people in. You know, uh, you know the board turnbacks, um, uh, this border force regime. These are all designed to you know keep people away from our uh, borders. You know, and and we got to break through that rather than looking at uh, shortcuts. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're looking at community sponsorship, $20,000 per person in Canada, but I think it's a lot higher in Australia. Um, it's impossible for us to rescue all the refugees through community sponsorship. Uh, we, you know, the, 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 the best way is to, um, is to, you know, have a government that'll end uh, board turnbacks you know, that'll close offshore and onshore detention centres uh, and in mandatory detention. You know, refugees fleeing wars should not be put in detention in the first place. I came to this country as a refugee at the age of 13, uh, fleeing uh, a war in Sri Lanka. Um, I came to this country after witnessing my school being bombed, and yet the Howard government locked me away uh, in a detention centre, um, and, and I still carry... Uh, you know, uh, painful memories uh, of uh, being detained in, in Bloodwood Detention Centre, you know. Uh, no refugee fleeing horrific violence should end up being tortured uh, by, the, uh, by our government. Um, 
Yeah. So, and I, I just wanted to uh, say that um, you know, I wanted to make this comment previously when you asked about the Afghan refugees. You know, while this government is offering, uh, you know, offering to take in more Hazara refugees, we must remember that there are thousands of refugees stranded in Indonesia, thousands of refugees in the Australian community from Afghanistan who are not receiving any help at all from the government and, and the budget doesn't promise any support for these people. And, of course, we're on the cusp of a global war. I know uh, it's easy to believe that it's contained in Russia and Ukraine at the moment, but uh, there continue to be wars, civil wars, uh, raging across Asia and Africa, and no doubt all of these conflicts are going to produce more refugees. The issue of refugees isn't going away. On that note, Aaron, there is the annual... um, Uh, Palm Sunday Refugee Rally. It's not called that anymore. It's called the Walk for Refugees. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what's happening that day, what the demands are this year and how people can get along in Melbourne? Yeah, so the Palm Sunday Refugee Rally is happening in many parts of uh, Australia. Uh, In Melbourne, it'll be on 10th of uh, April. Uh, There will be music from 1.30 p.m., uh, I think the gathering starts at yeah. So the gathering starts at State Library. Uh, speeches will start at 2 p.m. Uh, people like Tim Costello, a uh, uh, few refugee speakers and faith leaders uh, will be will be speaking. Will be marching to the Park Hotel in Carlton. Um, uh, the Park Hotel is where refugees are locked up for nine years. Um, uh, despite found, uh, being found to be genuine refugees. Um, uh, so we'll be marching down there and there will be more speeches uh, at uh, Park Hotel. The demands are that, uh, you know, we want all those refugees locked up, not just in Park Hotel, but every other uh, detention centre should be freed. We want mandatory detention to come to an end. We want refugees to be given permanent protection visas. Refugees in the community should be able to reunite with their family members. You know, there are fathers who left their uh, children uh, 12 years ago uh, are still not able to visit them or, or, or reunite with them. Um, and, uh, and, you know, refugees should be given uh, support in the community. There are, uh, there are over 15,000 refugees in the community who are denied uh, basic rights. Um, they don't have, uh, you know, work rights. They don't have any government support at all. It's not okay to treat people like this. And, and we want the, the Australian government to accept 20,000 Afghan uh, refugees. Uh, so, you know, there's more more demands, but. Um, you probably don't have the time given that it's 9.28 for me to run through. <laughs> Aaron, thank you so much for your time on the program today. And listeners, please get along to that refugee rally on the 10th of April. Thank you and good luck in the federal election, Aaron. All right. Thank you for having me, Giselle. Bye. That was Aaron Mulvaganam, the founder of the Tamil Refugee Council and a, a Victoria Socialist candidate for the Senate in this upcoming federal election. I'm going to go to some community announcements. I really am not understanding why people aren't seeing the fact that prisons are an integral part 
of a public health response to a pandemic. Like you, I'm really concerned about whether the data is being released very honestly about illnesses within prison. I have suspicions it's not, but really we need very strong leadership in this country that actually cares about people inside, our most vulnerable populations inside. That's what we need and that's not what we're getting right now. We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. 29 minutes past nine o'clock, James. That brings us to the end of another Asia Pacific Currents. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Stay tuned for Palestine Remembered, which is coming up next. And Asia Pacific Currents will be back next Saturday with more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region. That's all from me, Giselle Hanna. And me, James Barry. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.